Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. A couple of things, I don't know, I think it was last October, some of us from the church, there were six of us that had the opportunity to go see uh, and participate in a summit in one of the Carolinas. I, every, I'm always forgetting which Carolina I'm in. If you're from Carolina, I'm really sorry. Um, one of the Carolinas, and we got to meet a whole bunch of people from different ministries. And one of the people that we met was this guy named Ravi. And there was a couple of first impressions with Ravi for me. First of all, he has a look, okay, and you're going to recognize that here in a second. Hard to miss. In fact, it was fascinating when he said, Kevin, you're picking me up from the airport in the morning. Do you think that you're going to be able to recognize me? (laughs) Okay, and when you see him, you're going to be like, well, of course, right? So he has this look. The next thing is he was like the happiest guy I've ever met. I've never seen Ravi not smiling. I've never seen him not excited. Um, And he calls me kind of out of the blue after several months, and we've been communicating back and forth. He's like, I'm coming to Boston. I want to see what you guys are doing. And so I put him on the spot when he got here yesterday and said, I'm going to give you like five minutes in our service, and I want to see how well you can articulate what you do, right? So he does ministry, and so this is all about judging you, Ravi. He does ministry in India, which is really, really important. And so I'm going to ask Ravi to come up and share a little bit. So this is my brother, Ravi. Hey, namaste and uh, greetings, Boston friends. I am the infamous friend of Kevin. Uh, although yesterday as we were touring the city, uh, you know, I felt more, more, more Boston, Boston, you know, I felt like I was from Boston. Um, but I want to assure you, I'm not from Boston or from New York. I am from India, and you know, and that's where I grew up. Um, the Lord really called our family to um, plant a church in that region. Um, you know, um, a- as soon as my parents got married, they planted a church in 1983, and so, you know, we saw. How how there are so many similarities in in the city of Delhi where I come from, uh, which has possibly now 45 million people. And, you know, it's constantly growing in the next few years. It'll become one of the largest cities in the world, surpassing Tokyo. But uh, Delhi truly reminds me of uh, Boston. It's a, it's a, uh, conglomeration of so many people, diverse people coming from all over the world, you know, and people just have different ideas, thoughts about spirituality and, you know, different, and many of them are confused. So they're, they're searching for hope in wrong places. They're searching for friendships in places that leads them away from the true knowledge of God. And so, you know, seeing all that, you know, and hearing stories from Kevin how when you live you when you live in Boston like there is a hundred percent chance that growing up you will never interact with true believers and that's what happened uh, as I heard his story about his daughters and so that's how I grew up in Delhi you know I grew up 21 years not knowing anyone who was a Christian in my school college and neighborhood you know so like growing up like that you know you end up befriending a lot of friends that have alternate theories about spirituality, religion, you know, and obviously, you know, that led me on the wrong path. But thankfully, because my parents had started a church, I saw a lot of cool people like you guys, you know, sharing faith, sharing the power of love and joy and forgiveness. And that really was attractive. And so that was the only time I experienced hope uh, in a very dark, place, you know, so India is considered one of the most unreached and unengaged uh, regions in our world, and they say at least uh, 40 million people die in India every year without ever hearing the name of Jesus, you know, so there is a 100% chance that 94% of people in India will never ever have access to the gospel and very similar to Boston, you know. So I am very honored and privileged to visit with you guys because you guys, you know, remind me of um, Matthew 28, 16 onwards, you know, becoming a great commission church, you know, 
and you guys are bringing light in a very hostile environment here in Boston. And so I'm very honored to be with you guys uh, this morning. And I just want to read from Psalms 96. You know, as I was, uh, as Kevin put me on this spot and I was like, God, what, what word should I bring to my friends here at the Church of Well? And, you know, it's reminded me of when, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, like Jerusalem, um, uh, he, he sang this, this psalm as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And um, he was ba- they were basically declaring that all the gods in their cities, the Egyptian gods, the Babylonian gods, that they were worthless. All the theories about spirituality, all the notions about identity, all the notions that took people away from the true knowledge of God and, and forced them into thoughts that were man-made. <clears throat> he, he, they were declaring that they're worthless. Those ideas are worthless. They, they, they have no wisdom. And, and this is how uh, they, they, they worship God, proclaiming how he is the only true king above all gods. And this is what it says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him. And strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You know, um, God has given us a wonderful mission to declare the good news of salvation through his son, Jesus. And I am really honored this morning um, to, to even be with, with you guys to, to lock arms in, in bringing the good news to people in South Asia and some of the things that we're involved in is uh, basically church planting through leadership development and uh, sending missionaries and pastors to plant um, uh, house fellowships where people can come and hear the good news of Jesus. And one of the things that we uh, pursue is protecting children, vulnerable children living in desperate poverty. And I don't know if you guys have heard that uh, Compassion International recently was banned from functioning in India. World Vision was uh, banned from functioning in India. And we were one of their partners and we recently started uh, our old, uh, our own uh, child sponsorship platform and I've put out some of the pamphlets uh, in, in the back and you guys can pick it up and learn more about it. But that is one of the way we can support some of the church planting work, some of the child protection work that we pursue and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's great, grave spiritual poverty in that region, and there's also grave um, uh, physical poverty in that region. And so one of the things that we want to see happen is that church becoming um, an avenue of hope, bringing justice in a very hostile, dark region by protecting children, protecting them from human trafficking, protecting them from uh, illiteracy, protecting them from malnutrition and, you know, one of the simplest ways that the church can lock arms to uh, support some of the work that we're doing 
is just by you know coming alongside children, sponsoring them, and writing them notes and letting them know they're loved, they're not forgotten, because Jesus goes outside you know the gates and he reaches out to those that are forgotten and those that are neglected. Uh, thank you again, guys, for your time, and just very excited to be here with you guys this morning. Thank you, Kevin. We're going to go ahead and just to take some time and pray for Ravi and what he's doing. So if you will stand with me. Father, we just want to thank you for Ravi. I thank you for this brother in Christ. I thank you for the way that, Lord, you led him to yourself. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his desire to see people in India come to know Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful that you've given him a model to raise up and train indigenous individuals in that area to spread the gospel. And so, Lord, would you bless his work? Would you continue to encourage him? I pray that while he's here, he would get to meet many people, that he would leave here encouraged and, and, and return to the mission, um, feeling your presence and just even more motivated by your spirit to continue the work that you're doing there. Thank you for the privilege of knowing him, and we ask that you would often keep him on our hearts and minds and that we'd pray for him often. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to be reading... James 1, verse 19 to 25. So, verso 1 de Tiago, 19 até 25. Verse 1, 19, says, Sabeis isto, meus amados irmãos, mas com todo homem seja pronto para ouvir. Tardio para falar, tardio para se irar. Porque a ira do homem não opera a justiça de Deus. 21. Pelo que rejeitando toda imundícia e acúmulo de malícia, recebeis com mansidão a palavra em voz exertada, a qual pode salvar a vossa alma. E sede cumpridores da palavra, não somente ouvintes, enganando-vos com falsos discursos. 23. Porque se alguém é ouvinte da palavra e não cumpridor, é semelhante ao varão que contempla o espelho e o seu rosto natural. Porque se contempla a si mesmo e foi-se logo e se esqueceu de como era. Aquele, porém, que atenta bem para a lei perfeita da liberdade e nisso persevera, não sendo ouvinte esquecido, mas fazedor da obra, este tal será bem-aventurado no seu feito. Essa é a palavra de Deus. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, once again, just the privilege that we have of coming together. And Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, help us be repentive where we need to repent. But Lord, most importantly, may Jesus be glorified in all that's said. And Lord, we ask that you would allow us to leave here different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. I got emotional today looking at everything that's going on. So if, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Kevin. Um, I'm the lead pastor of Church of the Well. And I mean, we have Ravi here from India. We've got scripture being read from Portuguese. And we're this little, tiny, scrappy church in a neighborhood called East Boston that most of the world doesn't exist. In fact, I'm convinced that most of Boston doesn't know it exists. <laughs> and yet, we get to be a part of something so enormous in the gospel. You know, you think about what Ravi was talking about with all of the people in India and, and the need that's there, and, and he's making comparisons to Boston. And you look at the, the diversity that exists here, and and knowing in the back of our minds that as we're here worshiping, there's people and churches all over the world worshiping Jesus, and we get to be just a small part of that. And I think when we introduce things like this, it helps us remind ourselves and allows the Holy Spirit to remind us that, you know, oftentimes our problems that seem so huge aren't, right? That it's not just about what's happening here, but the Lord is moving everywhere, and just by participating in, in our little part, we're getting to see Jesus made famous throughout the world, and, and it's, a, it's such a privilege. 
So thank you for being patient with us and, and allowing that to happen. And um, we're going to continue in our series through James. Um, it, it's interesting because I, I've been telling you since we started this, like the purpose of James, we've called it Faith Works, but the idea here is that James is basically taking a mirror and he's asking you to put it right in front of yourself and really examine your own heart. Right? And the danger, I've said this every week, is that I think as human beings, it's so much easier for us to find flaws and issues in other people than ourselves. So in da- it's dangerous in moments when we go through like a book like James to hear the word, to hear what James is saying, and instead of turning the mirror and looking at ourselves, to actually look at others like we're the mirror and be able to identify what's going on in the lives of others, or to say like, oh, I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear this, right? But James is going to argue against that. He's actually going to use a mirror analogy, which is where this came from anyway, to say, look, we really need to be willing to examine our own hearts. And so we're picking up basically right where we left off from last week. Um, I won't be reading in Portuguese, so if you can turn to James chapter 1, starting at verse 19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Amen. Go and be blessed, right? Okay. There's three instructions here that I think are just, I mean, it almost sounds like a proverb. And I want to make this as practical as I can for you. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I was processing just this little saying all week, and I thought, what would it look like if the church actually did this? Like, what would it look like if this became like a mantra for you when you're at work or at home or you're, you're interacting with other people or you're driving around East Boston, right? And you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, and when we keep reading, it says, for anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I've never really considered myself an angry person. Like, I know angry people, um, I know people who, like, that's one of their struggles. It's never really been one of my struggles. In fact, everyone who knows me would say, if you see me angry, get out of the way. Because it's so rare, and it's going to take so much to get me to that place that I'm going to probably act out in some crazy way. And my wife, who I've been married to for almost 27 years, would say, I've only seen you angry maybe a few times, right? Or, or outwardly. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. Internally, I'm angry all the time right? It's, I don't necessarily act out on it, but I feel angry. Um, so I, I think regardless of whether you consider yourself an angry person or, or struggle with anger in an outward way, or somebody would acknowledge like, yes, you do struggle with anger. We all struggle with anger. We all struggle with the things that are being said here where we're often wanting to speak before we listen We're often wanting to make sure that our opinions and our ideas and our emotions are expressed before we might even actually have the real story. We all begin to make judgments on what we're seeing and and how things are going. Well, we'll even interject our opinions into conversations that we didn't even hear half of the conversation in. Have you ever done that? I felt it's embarrassing. Right? I remember as a kid, I would come in and I would listen to my parents be in the midst of a conversation, and I would think, because I didn't hear the whole conversation, that they said one thing, and I would respond to that as a kid. And now, as an adult, I still make the same mistakes at times. Right? There's this need for us to understand that if we're truly going to learn, if we're truly going to be able to impact the world to become more sanctified in the gospel, to really live out a righteous life in Christ, that we have to slow our hearts and our minds down and really put ourselves into a position of listening. And obviously we're going to turn this to a more spiritual context, but I think the reason that James begins this passage this way is because he's not just talking about listening to each other. He's talking about listening to the Lord. 
I was sharing some of my testimony with somebody this week, and one of the things I told them is, I think it's probably Ravi, and I said, you know, when I, when I was young, graduated from college, we started two businesses in California, and they were very successful, and the Lord kind of gave me everything that I thought that I wanted. And then he called me into full-time ministry, and we sold everything. We moved to upstate New York and worked for a camp for inner-city kids from Washington Heights and Harlem, and it was probably the hardest year and a half of my life. The Lord literally said, okay, I am going to strip you of everything. And there was, I have a, a specific moment in my mind when I was, <laughs> we were so poor, like, right? It was so bad. And somebody had donated a car to us, and it was this little tiny Saturn. And I don't know if you've ever sat in a Saturn, but tall people in Saturns are already a problem. So my head would hit the top, right? And then the first time it rained, and it rains all the time in upstate New York, I remember going out to the car that had been donated, and I opened the door, and water starts like flooding out of the car. And my only solution was, I remember going into the house, grabbing a drill, coming out to the car, and drilling holes into the bottom of the floorboard, so that I knew that when it would rain, at least it would drain out. It was so bad. I remember pulling up at church one Sunday, and it was raining, and it would leak so bad in the car that Christy would actually have an umbrella open in the car, right? And she was so embarrassed, and I would always, like, it was raining, so I wanted to pull her up to the front of the church and drop her off, and she's like, please don't do that. Like, this is so embarrassing, we had this car, I dropped my kids off at school, I'm getting ready to go to this ministry, and um, I remember arguing with the Lord, Lord, I gave, I gave up everything to come here. Like, in this selfish moment, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm literally arguing with the Lord out loud. I said, I gave up everything, I we, we were at a point at a very young age where it felt like I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, I was providing fine, and now I don't even know what I'm going to feed my kids tonight. And I remember as clearly as the Lord can speak, I've never heard the Lord's voice audibly, but this sensation came over me, and, and it was just Kevin you are spending a lot of time complaining and arguing with me and very little time just listening. There's things that I'm trying to do in your life and you're not even willing to listen to what I'm trying to accomplish. There's a reason why this is happening. There's a reason why you're going through the trials that you're going through and ultimately it comes down to you're not the person that I need you to be for the work that I have for you in the future. But I, I, I spent so much time wasted arguing with the Lord instead of just being willing to listen. And I know that's like one major example, but I see that in my life on a consistent basis where I want something to happen. Uh, it's not working out the way that I planned or, you know, I, I'll, I'll say something like, man, if I were God, I would have done it this way. So thank God I'm not God, Right? And I know you guys have these same conversations and it's not happening the way you want. And our first response is to argue with God instead of just find those moments where we're silent and we're willing to just put ourselves in a position to listen. And what James says is that when we don't do that, when we just immediately go to anger and a refusal to listen, it's impossible for us to experience the righteousness of God. There's something tied to this that the church in America does a very poor job of just taking quiet moments instead of just speaking to the Lord and actually listening to him. So if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, I, I think one of the ways we can assess this is to say, how much time did you actually spend listening to the Lord this week? Right? I, I'm not saying we... You know, I, well, oh, I've got my routine, and I'm, I'm in the Word, and I'm doing my devotion, and I'm doing a Bible study, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm doing things with my family, and I have these breaks, but we as Americans tend to keep ourselves so busy that very rarely do we just stop and say, Lord, what, what's going on in my life right now? What are you trying to say? Like, all of these things, I'm, I'm constantly putting stuff into my head and my heart, but I'm, what do you want to do with those things? 
And I think what it's created is not only a lack of righteousness in individuals in the church, but it's created a misunderstanding where we're constantly going, I feel like maybe the Lord wants me to do something, but I don't really know what that is. And I will share with you in my experience, most of the time it is with joy, this is last week, endure what you're going through, listen to me, allow me to impact you, quit complaining, stop being angry, enjoy me in the process. Um, But we're always wanting that next thing. So I just think it's interesting as James is going to dive into this context that he's literally saying, I want you to process these things. Are you really willing to listen to the Lord instead of just speaking. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. Um... There's this word in this passage that says meekness, and I, I think this is a key word here. It says to receive it with meekness, to, to come to God's word, to listen to him in, in meekness. There's, there's a whole lot. Meekness is one of the most difficult words to express or to define, and even in the original text, oftentimes different translations will use a different word to try to explain this. But what it's really boiling down to, the easiest way I can explain it is it's taking a moment to listen. It's, it's being humble. It's setting your personal rights aside for the rights of someone else. It's putting yourself in a position to be teachable. It's not just looking at the word and saying, okay, I know what this means and I'm going to pour what I know into this. It's listening to the word, absorbing it, and letting the spirit reveal to you what you need in the moment. It's, it's a submissive position of saying, I'm not going to be the one in charge and the speaker. I'm going to be the one that's just going to listen and, uh, and, and hear and actually, like, you know, have you ever heard of active listening? I get oftentimes, Christy will be like, oh, I told you that. And I'm like, no, you didn't. And then I think, oh, wait, she did, but I wasn't actually listening. <laughs> right? So if you're married, you know this. Right? You've got something going on. I, I was great at this as a kid. My dad would be like, well, didn't you hear me? And I'm like, well, yeah, but no. <laughs> right? Um, that's not putting yourself in a position of meekness. Putting yourself in a position of meekness is literally going... I care so much about the love letter that the Lord has given me, about the special revelation of Jesus' life that, that he's revealed to me, that I want to absorb everything that he's asking me to do, not just for the sake of knowledge, not just so I can even pass this on, but because my soul is so desperate to hear a word from the Lord, because if I don't get that, then I'm just going to die and shrivel up internally. Like, when's the last time you, you found yourself on your knees going, Lord, if you don't speak to me today, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like, this, this passion inside of us to say, Lord, I am, I am dependent, I am desperate, I need to hear from you today. I don't want my time with you to just be a killing of time, or just something that's habitual. I want it to be meaningful. I want you to use this word that you've given me to really change my heart and my life. How'd that go this week? Statistics tell us that very few Christ followers in the United States of America who claim to know Jesus spend more than 10 minutes a week in the Word. Okay? So, it's fascinating that James is, I I would imagine that obviously this must have been a problem back in the early church as well. I think one of the reasons James is tying this all together is go, you think you know so much 
and you know that the Lord is speaking, but you want to impart your wisdom into the, into the world or into the word, you want to hear from the Lord when you want to hear from him and not necessarily for the purpose of change and righteous living, but to either encourage or um, create a space within you that affirms what you're already doing instead of taking the word, absorbing it, and let it change your heart on a daily basis. And as arrogant Americans, we think we always know best. And then we don't take the time that we need. We don't listen with 10 minutes a week. Are you kidding me? And then something happens in our life, and our response is, well, God, why aren't you doing something about it? Why aren't you moving? Why am I not hearing from you? And I think James is just pushing back against that to go, are you truly desiring to hear from the Lord? Or is it just a bunch of lip service? Are you truly desiring for him to make an impact in your heart and your mind? Or is it just, well, I've always done this. He tells us that the word does two things for us. It it saves our souls. I mean, that... When we look at the gospel, we look at the story of scripture, I'll often say anytime that you're reading scripture, if you're not seeing Jesus in it, you're misinterpreting it, right? So whether you're in the Old or the New Testament, it's always about Jesus. It's always about what he's done. It's always about what he continues to do. It's always about his story of coming and saving us and putting us in a position to be able to live a life that honors and glorifies him. And he says, it saves your soul. I think oftentimes as Christ followers, we think of this process of saving our soul as, okay, there was a moment when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and I know the Holy Spirit entered me, and I'm saved. And you go, yes, I'm saved, meaning when I die, I know that one day I will be with Jesus for eternity. But I think what we miss is that our soul, not our eternal soul, but our, our living soul, the ability for us to live out The life that Jesus desires for us while we're here on this earth is at stake every single day. Like there are things in this world, in this city, in this neighborhood, in this room that are vying for portions of your soul. That are saying, no, it's it's not going to be about Jesus, it's going to be about this. I mean, it's fascinating. I walk in here every Sunday and I just pray, Lord, I'm bringing in a lot of stuff and so would you just help me let go of those things so I can just focus on your word? And I realize today that I very rarely pray that outside of walking in here on Sunday. I just let all of the other stuff like impact me. And it's vying for my soul. And what's so cool is is the gospel is not just to save us for eternity. It literally is written. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And the way that it's written in the original language is it's written in that moment, that moment that you're saved. He desires to give you life abundant from that moment through eternity, which means the life that you currently live can be abundant. And it's not about a prosperity thing. It's about abundance in being able to live a life that glorifies Jesus. It's, a, it's abundant in understanding when he says, my burden is light, that he means it. Not only do I argue with the Lord, but I have found that I'll proclaim that verse and then I'll turn around and pick up a burden that the Lord never even asked me to take. And I'm just constantly putting more and more and more burdens on me. And when all of this adds up together, there's something that's viring for my soul today and I become ineffective and I'm not hearing from the Lord and I'm doing everything my way. And do you know what that leads to? Internal anger. It also says it promotes righteousness. If you're kind of new to church world, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Like, the first place you have to get to, that the Holy Spirit has to bring you to before you can profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, is you have to come in contact with your own depravity. You have to get yourself to a place where you go, there's nothing really good in me at all. In fact, Scripture tells us that, right? Our 
Our works are but dirty, filthy rags. It's, there's nothing good in us. Or all of sin that falls short of the glory of God, however you want to express it. We have to come in contact with that. We have to be willing to humble ourselves down to say, well, I can't proclaim that Jesus is Savior if I don't even think that I need one. And I only need a Savior if I'm in big trouble. And I think what we often do is go, well, I think I'm big trouble in these certain areas of my life, but overall I tend to be a pretty good person, and we don't actually come in contact with our depravity, but that's what we have to do first. And because we're depraved individuals, even after that point of getting saved, it says that the, the Holy Spirit enters us. He becomes our guide. He becomes a, an opportunity for, to illuminate Scripture. <laughs> we're given gifts. There's so many things that happen. But I th- it's interesting, as a Christ follower, and maybe once again, this is me, so I'll pick on myself, I often will look at the gifts that the Lord given me, and I'll just go, I don't really think I need those. I'm just going to do this on my own. And I'm going to try to live righteous on my own. I'm going to try to do what I think is right. And James is reminding us, there's, if you're truly going to attempt to live a life that's righteous, in a moment, whatever it is, in just a conversation, in, in an opportunity, if it's going to look righteous, if it's going to look like Jesus, then it's going to require that you listen. It's going to be required that you place yourself in a constant state of humility, reminding yourself of your own depravity, not to feel guilty, but to feel empowered by Jesus. It saves our soul continuously. It helps us understand what true righteousness is. And we say, eh. Then he enhances this, verse 22, but... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. <laughs> this, if this doesn't speak to you, even if, if you're not a Christ follower, then nothing will. Because, you know, the, the greatest complaint, the greatest complaint in all of the world about Christians is we're called hypocrites. You say one thing, you live another way. Right? And... I've told this church this so many times, and I will continue to say it. And if you're new here, and that's something that you've said, I'm just going to welcome you to a bunch of hypocrites. Like, yes, that's what we are. But so are you. You say all the time that you're going to live a certain way, and you don't, you don't do it either. It's, it's the condition of mankind where we can't even live up to the standards that we set for ourselves. Like, think about your week, and you went, I'm going to do this, and then how well did it go? I said I was going to run this many times this week. I didn't. I wanted to. I have all kinds of excuses as to why not. I'm blaming Ravi now. (laughs) Ravi showed up. Like, how rude would it be to go run and leave Ravi at the house by himself, right? It it is hypocritical. It, it, It is. It is. Oftentimes, the world looks at the church and says, you claim that you believe this. It, it, in fact, they'll even quote, like it says it here in this holy book that you're claiming that you're attempting to live by and is a love letter to you and is a story of who you are. So why aren't you living it? It's so easy to relate to this. It, We deceive ourselves to believe that because we can quote it, that we're actually doing it. He gives this pretty cool analogy. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. This, it's weird to, to process this, but this is the best I can do for this. I woke up this morning. My wife is in Virginia. I don't sleep great when my wife isn't next to me. Um, I got up. I felt like the pollen bomb had been thrown at my face. <laughs> I, I remember looking in the mirror, and I'm like, I'm not seeing very well. And I, I, I like, you know, you stumble in and I look in the mirror and one of my eyes is like glued shut. Like, that's more, more detail than you need. 
but it's like glued shut, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, I look awful. Like, if I were to walk into this space on Sunday, the band's here warming up, and I walk in, and I just walked in looking like I looked in that mirror, they would have told me to turn around and go home. My hair was everywhere, my face looked, my eyes like came, I'm wearing glasses because when I take them off, if you saw my face is like, my eyes are swollen and puffy, my one eye is glued together, I, I have lines on my face from like the mattress and stuff, and if you can just picture like me seeing myself in the mirror and recognizing, wow, I look really bad. Like, there's some work that needs to be done here before I show myself to anyone. I, I had the greatest realization today. I thought, my wife wakes up to this. <laughs> Bless her. <laughs> right? Like, you don't... We all think we're better looking than we are, right? <laughs> and so I'm, just picture this, though. Picture, like, in this analogy, whatever you look like in the morning, okay? So you see yourself in the mirror, and you're like, whoa. And then you go, and then you walk away, and you kind of start doing some things, and you're just like, oh, I don't remember what I looked like. I'm sure I'm fine. So I'll just throw some clothes on, and off I go. Right? And you wouldn't do that. I mean, maybe you would. If you, do, if, you, if you do do that, come talk to somebody. We'll get you some help, right? <laughs> Typically, it's like hygiene's a good thing, and it keeps you around people, and you want to look your best, or if you're going to go do something, you know, it's like, I mean, we even have parties where they're like, dress to impress. Like, there's things where you have personal pride in somehow how you look, how you dress, whatever it is, because that sets a tone on how people define you. You would never just walk away and say, I'm fine. It looks great. And what James is saying is, then why do we do that spiritually? Like when the mirror is placed in front of us, it's there. And we know, man, I haven't been slow to speak. I haven't been listening. I, I have been angry. I've been arguing with the Lord. I ha- all these things we talk about, I haven't spent time just allowing the Holy Spirit to pour into me. I I'm, I'm trying to do things my own way. I, what, what, how, however you want to describe it, I've lived, I'm completely living a hypocritical life. It's as, it, what he's saying is, it's as if that spiritual mirror was placed before you. You claim to know Jesus. You look in the mirror, and what reflects back at you is this constant understanding of your own depravity, the areas of your heart where you're really struggling. And then you just kind of turn around and go, well, praise God, I'll figure this out. And he goes, why would you do that? I was doing premarital counseling yesterday, which is one of my favorite things to do because it's just fun. Right? We get to talk about really fun stuff. And um, one of the things I reminded this couple of is that when when you're dealing with loving your spouse, it's not you that gets to determine whether you're succeeding at it. It's the other person. Right? So... Oftentimes, like, I'll look at Christy, and it's not every day because that would be psychotic, but like maybe a couple times a year, and I'll go, Christy, am I loving you well? Right? Because I may think I'm loving you well, but it's really you that gets to determine whether or not I'm loving you well or not. And if I'm asking that question, then what I'm really looking for is an honest answer. Like, am I loving you well? And sometimes Christy's like, you're doing so well, and other times... She's been like, well, there's some things that you could do better. And when she reveals that to me, in those moments when she's like, you could do some things better. Like, here's some things that would help me. You know, you're spending so much time over here, and one of her love languages is quality time, so if you could just find some more quality time for me, that would be helpful. And I listen, I ask the question, and I listen to it, so the mirror's there, and she's telling me what, what needs to happen for her to feel more loved and for me to be more successful as a husband. And, but this is the key. It comes down to, what am I going to do with the information that I was just given? Like, was I just looking to, you know, did I... Come on, false humility. I asked the question because I think I'm loving her really well and I just wanted to go, oh my, you are the best. And I'm just fishing for compliments? Or am I really interested 
and what she has to say? Am I really interested in listening to the things that need to be tweaked? And you, you go, well, how do you know if you do them or not? That's how you know. Like, how, 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 how many times would you have to ask a person, am I loving you well, and they continue to tell you how you can do it better, and then you continue to refuse to do it, but keep saying you love them? Now, take that example to how we treat the Lord. He says, you're, you're coming to me, you're asking for me to change your heart. You're asking for me to bless you. You're asking for me to help you live a more righteous life. You're asking for boldness. You're asking for courage. You're asking for direction. You're constantly talking about what is the purpose of my life and what do you have for me? What do you, what, how, what, how do these gifts work? So on and so forth. And he says, first of all, you're not even listening for the answer. You just keep asking the question. But then oftentimes when I reveal the answer to you, you go, wow, that's really interesting. Thanks. That's not really what I wanted to hear. Or have you had those moments where you've prayed for the Lord to improve you? Like, you know, we, we said this last week. It, it's dangerous prayer to ask for the Lord to give you more ability to say love someone, right? Okay, Lord, help me love somebody more. Why? Because then they're going to put people, he's going to put people in your life that are really hard to love because it's the only way that you can love better, Right? Can you imagine, he's like, I'm putting people, you asked me to help you love more. I'm putting people in your life that are hard to love, and you're just reverting directly to anger. You don't even want from me what you're asking from me. Do you really want it? Do you really believe it? How'd that go this week? Like, what did the Lord reveal to you in your heart, in your mind? Where he says, you desire, I desire to sanctify you, I desire to set you further aside, I desire for you to be more like Jesus, and you're claiming that you're desiring certain things in certain ways, and I'm revealing those things to you. But the question is, are we doing them? It's, it's not enough to just go, I know I'm a depraved individual. We've got to do something about it. We, we got to understand that when I walk into a situation without Jesus and without acting on him, I'm walking in as a depraved individual who's not going to understand anything. I have to walk in with the power of what he's given me. Lord, I'm seeing the situation this way, but I know that I'm messed up. So help me see it this way. Help me see it your way. Give me the ability to understand what you have for me in this situation, not what I want in this situation. And then when I ask for it and he says, okay, here's how you do it, I don't know, meekness, whatever it is, and then we go, oh, that's not, that's hard. I don't know if I want to do that. That's going to require some sacrifice. It requires some effort. And James says, just like the individual who looks in the mirror physically and forgets and goes and makes a fool of themselves, we can look at the mirror and ourselves spiritually and go and make a big fool of ourselves. I love the positive ending here. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We all want to be blessed. You say, well, what does it take to get blessed? And we all have our own definition of what we want that to look like. But if we truly want the Lord's blessing, I would define the Lord's blessing as the constant ability to understand and become more like Christ with whatever it takes. Meaning, a bl blessing from the Lord is attention from the Lord. Not what the Lord gives us. It's, it's his attention, right? He says, if you truly want to be blessed, then as I'm giving you these things, as I'm revealing them to you, do it. Do it. Like, it's so weird because I think oftentimes I'll ask the Lord for something. He reveals something to me. I don't want to do it because it's not the answer that I want. And I do something else. And then I come back to the same source asking for it again. And he's like, I'm not going to change the answer. 
It's the same answer. He doesn't change. It's the same answer. Do it. Do it. Do it. And he's saying, if you'll do it, you're going to see those blessings in your life. There's, there's this constant misunderstanding of where like works and faith come into play. Right? Works don't save you. It, it, we don't necessarily even need the scriptures to tell us that because we know it. Because even if we say, well, uh, well, we can't lift up to our own standard. The works don't save us. But works do show us that we're saved. They do show others that we actually believe what we're claiming that we believe. They do empower the church to actually do what the church is called to do. I mean, as I'm listening to Ravi here and the, the great need that's in a place like India. You know why that need's there? Because the church isn't doing anything. We say, oh, that's really sad. That hurts. And I know that's massive, like even just trying to think like, what do you do to impact 40 million people? Well, I don't know. But I know what you can do to impact one. I mean, what if everyone just did, what if everyone just impacted the one person that the Lord put in front of you on a daily basis? Right? We have these grand visions, but grand visions require that individuals within the church accomplish the, the, the day-to-day things that lead overall to the big things. The dot-com industry has killed our understanding of that because everything happens so quickly. That's not really how growth happens. We, we're, we have to be relational. We have to understand people. We, have to, we want permission to present the gospel. We want, we want to be able to speak the gospel into their lives in a very practical and real way that they understand. And we can't do that without knowing them, which means it takes time. I was convicted this week in my study to say I have found moments in my life where I'm asking the Lord to bless me but refusing to do what it takes to get blessed. And when I say that, it's not like, oh, I've got this outright sin that I'm doing instead. It's typically just not doing what the Lord's asked me to do. So I think one of the the biggest questions that we can ask from this passage is, as this mirror is put in front of us, is what is the Lord asking you to do? And how big is he? Are you really willing to do it? Where are your lines? Be honest with yourself. Like, Don't lie to yourself in the mirror and then behave a different way. Lord, I'm willing to do anything. We sang this song, I Surrender. That's such a lie. It's a hope, but we, we sing worship songs and we declare, this is what I'm doing, but it's not really what we're doing. There's so many areas in our life, and it doesn't matter where, who you are, you go, I need to surrender that over. It has to be more than a declaration in a song. It has to be, there has to be action to it. It has to be, what does surrender really look like? It means that I'm going to have to give some things up. It's going to have to be obedient to what the Lord's asking me to do. It means that I have to hear from him and be willing to do what he's actually saying. And here's the, here's the biggest thing of it. God's not fooled. We fool other people really well. But God's not fooled. He knows if we're surrendering or not. I'm going to leave this here and just invite you to process this because I think, to me, this is heavy. Like I'm, I, it, it's been a journey for me this week to go, okay, Lord, like I can look back in my past and tell you moments that I surrender, but what did I do yesterday? Like oftentimes we want to keep reliving the sacrifice maybe that was made in, in a moment of obedience years ago. 
Testimonies are so cool. But has your testimony continued? Right? Are we still telling the same stories that we had to tell way back when because really nothing's different since then? Like, so I, I'm just inviting you to say, what are you doing with this? If, if you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus and I told you you need to come in contact with your own depravity, it may start with just going, Kevin, this makes perfect sense because I know that even though I don't know Jesus and I don't understand church, I have attempted to live certain ways and I can't do it so I can relate. Maybe that's where it begins. And maybe you just need to find somebody and have a conversation and turn to the person next to you and go, do you know Jesus? And they say, yes. Say, can we have some coffee? And I, I want to talk through some of these things. But we got to remember, this, like this was written for the church. This message is the power of the gospel that is available to every single person who declares Jesus as Lord and Savior. You actually have the ability to do what he's asking you to do as long as we put Christ first. He may ask you to go to India and impact 40 million people, and if that's actually what he asks you to do, I believe that if you're obedient, he'll accomplish it. But I also know that if we as a church are not willing to talk to our neighbor, then we're definitely not going to be willing to make a leap like that. So what is he asking you to do? And if you're honestly, as a Christ follower, going, I don't know, then I would say then maybe practically you just need to spend some time listening. Everybody thinks like, Oh, God's will for my life is this mysterious thing that I have to find. He's not hiding it from you. He's not like, oh, I'm going to save you and give you the Holy Spirit, and then, okay, good luck. Figure it out. He wants you to know it. So this week, we're going to take an opportunity to respond through communion, and I want this to be personal for you. There's elements here, there's elements here, and Communion is an opportunity for us to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for the privilege of the life that we get to live in him. It's also a reminder of what he paid to make that happen. And so the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs together. And I would just challenge you, like, take a moment to process. And then in that processing, when you feel you're ready, then come and declare it to the Lord. Be reminded that any change that's going to take place within us is due to what Jesus did. Place your dependency upon that. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing, but I will tell you the greatest need in this world is for the church to actually do what we have been commanded to do. And that's weird to say. But that's accurate. So will you do it? Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us like we are. Lord, these things are hard. From a humanistic standpoint, I don't like it. I want to do it my way. I want to be saved my way. I want to be sanctified my way. I I'm in the constant, this constant state of making myself my own idol. Lord, I, I pray that you would empower your church to live out what we say we believe. I pray that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers. Lord, I pray that we would take the time to really understand what you're asking of us and trusting that because you are God and sovereign and all-knowing and all-powerful and loving, Lord, and care about us, that you know what's best. And Lord, when we find those moments when our depravity is overtaking our faith, I ask that your Holy Spirit would give us the grace and the strength to be obedient and doers of the word anyway. Lord, lastly, if there's, I know there is, if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you personally, I pray right now that you would give them that gift of faith, that you would regenerate their heart, that you give them courage and boldness to ask the questions that are necessary, 
And Lord, I pray that if they're using the excuse of what they've seen in the church as a reason to not come to you, then Lord, first forgive us for not representing you well, but Lord, please don't let our failures impact their faith. Lord, we love you. We need you more than ever. So Lord, would you empower us to do your work, to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.